overall, of course, it's a, a rare entity as all pediatric um, tumors. So we basically, all pediatric tumors together are about 1% of all cancers. But amongst the pediatric tumors, uh, the brain tumors nowadays are the leading cause of um, mortality or patient death. And this is why we are so much interested in improving their situation. Basically, um, after um, the primary therapy that we give to all patients, usually in nationwide or European protocols, um, we nowadays can cure about 75% of patients, and whoever relapses, however, um, usually has a, a very poor survival. So we decided that we have to do something for this group of um, patients, independent of, of the tumor entity that they are suffering from. And um, we try to um, foster a rebiopsy at the time of relapse um, to really um, then do genomics analysis um, on the rebiopsy in the relapse um, to be sure that we are actually facing the biology that, that, that is present um, at that time rather than taking the biopsy from the primary tumor. And then we try to infer um, targeted therapies um, from this um, molecular workup that we are doing for the relapse situation because we think or we hope that this will be better than just giving a standard oral chemotherapy. As you can imagine, that, um, these children are treated in more than 50 different places in Germany and, and um, about 12 different study centers are involved in that. So it was kind of challenging to get all of them together. But I think that um, we are all unified um, by, by the wish of better helping um, these patients. And um, we, we set up an infrastructure now where in all of these 50 places um, tumor tissue can be frozen down and, and, and submitted um, to a central laboratory, which is in Heidelberg. And we try to turn around, uh, turn around these, these samples um, within four weeks between the, uh, the, the biopsy and, and um, the, uh, delivering um, the data to the treating physician. And um, yeah, we try to provide um, rational uh, drug targets that then the, at, at the moment it's at the discretion of the clinical uh, clinician, the local clinician, uh, to take them um, further for an individual therapy. And in the future, once this concept is, is better established and, and all the infrastructure is, is working really on a daily basis, uh, then we want to really run a clinical trial where we compare the principle of, of individualized therapy versus just giving an, uh, a, a backbone chemotherapy, as we do now. So far, we, we have, and this is kind of encouraging, we have done about 30 pilot patients because the, the registry study as such is not open at the moment. We just started to establish the infrastructure. And uh, amongst these 30 cases, um, we, we have um, identified or be, been able to identify um, drug targets in more than half of the cases, which we think is, is quite good. Um, and now it will, of course, be interesting um, on, on getting the feedback from the clinicians. We already know that we had some very favorable responses, but, but we cannot really talk about you know, frequencies um, and, and um, durable responses yet, because it just started last December. We, we even have... Um, I think more um, limitations to get access to drugs, of course, because um, usually you, you have to have completed a, uh, an adult phase one um, study before you can start a, a pediatric phase one. And, and usually there is not a lot of interest uh, with the pharma companies to, to do that at all, because this is not, will never be a big market. 
Um, but on the other hand, um, we, we try to uh, find different ways uh, on getting access um, to drugs. And, and one of, I think, the most uh, convincing arguments from a pediatric oncology perspective is that usually the genomes of children's tumors are relatively simple. So you're very close um, uh, to the actual driver mutation. Uh, and this is also an attractive um, option for, for a pharma company to really uh, give a drug um, where, where the target is, is actually present. And there's not a hundred other potential targets uh, which probably um, could, could mask the, the effect of this drug. So, so we hope that with this argument, we will convince more and more companies um, to be interested in that. Yeah, as I said, the, the genomes are simpler, so it, it will be much, more uh, much easier to interpret um, the, the, the results um, of giving a targeted drug, even a, a monotherapy and probably the mechanisms of resistance. Um, yeah, because it's, it's, it's just um, less noisy and, and less what we, what we call passenger mutations. Of course, um, inferring um, kind of targets and, and drugs from the genome sequencing data is, is, is just, uh, it's, it's a, very, a very far um, distance to bridge, right? And, and in, in principle, you should have a kind of functional genomics or um, approach for every patient in between where you, where you would do some kind of in vitro or in vivo drug testing um, to really show that this is working. And so this is something where we are currently trying to, to really um, fill the gap and, and, and for the most interesting and, and common targets, we also um, try to really do some more um, in vitro and in vivo work um, prior to giving it to large cohorts of patients. Well, there's um, one thing that I also mentioned in my talk um, was that, that um, especially in these kind of relatively simple um, pediatric tumors, um, we, we often have cases also where we, don't, where we haven't identified a clear driver mutation at this stage even. And, and we think that, and, and we have good evidence um, now that, uh, that if you integrate um, epigenomics information rather than only looking at the pure uh, mutations in genes, um, that, that we will be able to really fill these gaps of, of cases where we don't find an obvious driver. And, and this is something that, that will probably also be interesting for adult um, oncology because, uh, because this is something that is probably not a, a mechanism that is restricted to pediatric tumors.